Oh, hi. I'm Dr. K. Mastercola, physical therapist and mental health meme maker. I've spent the past 10 years navigating life with mental illness, and I found a lot of survival guides out there, but none that talk about what happens next. No one is talking about that radical space between surviving and thriving. So I created this podcast as a way to embrace the awkward in pursuit of finding what success truly means. Thanks for coming along too. This is The Thrive Guide. Welcome back to the Thrive Guide podcast. I am Dr. K. Mastricola, better known on the internet as DPTs with anxiety. And I'm actually really excited because I think it is safe to say that this is the first PT Pintcast Network crossover event, correct? Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> so in the studio, I have with me the one, the only Rebecca, better known as the ED DPT. And I'm going to let her kind of talk about like who she is, what she is, and a little bit more just kind of to introduce herself. Rebecca, floor is yours. I am Rebecca Griffith. I'm the ED DPT. As far as what I am, I am a, I don't know, I'm a 40 something physical therapist, mom of three who is just trying to figure it out like everybody else. So I definitely have, I would say like a lot of both personal and professional identities. I really love being a parent. I think that's probably my life's work. Everything else I do is a hobby, including being a physical therapist. So I, I enjoy just trying to move forward one day at a time with my little family, I guess. That is an awesome way to kind of like phrase things, you know, just being like everything else is a hobby. Cause then I feel like it kind of takes the, the weight off of things. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, just because I, I've always told myself, like, just because I work part-time doesn't mean I want to have a small career. And mm. I think it's important to show that to my children also. So I have two sons and a daughter, and I think it's important for them to see that I can be both present for them and have a career. So I try to be mindful of that as well, but they also know that they're my biggest priority. Oh my God. I love that so much. As like, so um, I am a first generation college student. My mom worked her butt off to make sure she immigrated from Portugal, make sure that we had my three sisters and I, what we needed and more. And like, I am just so like honored and blessed. Like when I hear like other moms talk about it, because I'm like, yes, that's my mom too. And like, from like a child's perspective, it makes such a difference. So know that that yes. is like making the true difference. <laughs> so you said that you work part-time, but it's not a small career. Small hours, not a small career. Talk a little bit right. more about like what you do, what's setting your in. So you're a physical therapist, just kind of like all of us. Yeah, I'm a board certified neurologic clinical specialist, and I am also in an orthopedic manual physical therapy fellowship program. And I practice in the emergency department. So I work about 20 hours a week in the emergency department. And I shouldn't, I mean, I, I do work full time, but I work part time clinically, I think it's probably a better way to clarify that. And then I work on my own business, the EDDPT outside of that. I also do a lot of professional service through the APTA, which I think is really important for us all to kind of work together to move our profession forward. So those are the kinds of things I do. You can also find me doing some like adjunct teaching, things like that. But I like to do like from a life work flow perspective, 
I really like to do a lot of things part-time. That's just how my brain works. That's how I don't get bored with things. It's how I stay challenged and ready to go. That's so awesome. And I mean, you said something really like specific there that I want to touch on. You said life work flow instead mm-hmm. of life work balance. Talk a little bit about yeah. why you chose that wording. So I, like that. I, I think, I think most parents can relate to the fact that everybody's like life work balance, life work balance, and you can have it all. And it's this like constant pressure that if you don't feel like your life work balance is balanced, you're doing something wrong. And after a long time of like trying to be this perfect mom, this perfect employee, this like perfect human, I realized that balance is not actually really a thing. And I think we have different seasons in life and different times where different things will need different levels of attention. And I think the quote that really made me realize how futile it was, was that you should parent like you don't have a job and work like you don't have children. And I was like, I can't, I can't do that. So I really believe in life work flow and that it's going to go up and it's going to go down. Sometimes it's got to go more in the life direction. Like one of my kids has been sick. She's getting more of my attention than my business, for example. And other times, like I really need to finish something for my business. I'm going to work on that. And they still know that they're loved and taken care of and that we will flow back. So I think of it like a faucet and you've got your life faucet and your work faucet. And sometimes you have to turn one a little higher and sometimes you have to turn one a little lower, but it all continues to flow. As long as you manage the flow, you have to still be mindful and pay attention of which areas of your life and your work need more of your attention. And that's the closest I think I'll ever get to balance is just trying to regulate the flow. Yeah. And I love that analogy of like the faucet so much because if you have both going at high speed velocity, you're going to overflow your sink and then left with a bigger mess to clean up later. And a huge water bill. True. True. Which is physiologically and physically costly. And so everything needs what you can give it. And sometimes you can give it more than you can other times. And that's okay. And I've also learned to forgive myself for the level of flow that there might be at any time. Because I'm doing what I can do. I'm doing the best I can. And if I'm mindful of it, then I know I'm prioritizing well. Yeah, I've started adapting the phrase um, process without a goal. You know, mm. all of these things that I'm I'm doing for DPT's anxiety, this started as like a meme page for like my mental health that I thought no one was ever going to see. And now like people ask me, what's your next step? I'm like, it's kind of whatever comes and I'm allowed to say no to things, you know, like I'm, I'm still a full-time pelvic floor therapist, like 40 hours a week. I am dedicated to my job and my patients there. And I, I love what I do. I love my company that I'm with. So they deserve an employee who's going to show up. And um, so it's, it's on that part, like, process without a goal, right? If I, if I'm just kind of chasing the next thing that comes, you know, then it's going to be a lot better. It's a lot less forced. And I've, it's been a very hard struggle coming out of academics where everything is like, the goal is the DPT. The goal is the DPT. And Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here and I'm like, "Hmm, now what? (laughs) Like I've done the thing. Um, Yeah. And, and you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to not have a plan too, because that's part of your flow. Yeah. Yeah. That is. And I mean, like, how do you find that kind of like mantra and flow and stuff like 
in your, like, I would say like, quote unquote career as an ED DPT. Like, I think that is so niche and unique. And I really want you to touch on that a little bit for me. Mm-hmm. So I think if, if you want to learn to go with the flow, the emergency department is the place to do it. If you're the kind of person that wants to know exactly who you're seeing the next day and what kind of patients you want to prepare in advance, this is not for you. If you like, you know, eating and taking breaks at exact times of the day, not for you. If you like knowing like that your patient population is going to be all pelvic health, for example, this is not for you. If you like showing up and having every day be a choose your own adventure book, like this is the place to go because you just never know what's going to happen. For example, I had a patient the other day with low back pain. Um, and the more I dug into the history, like the surface was very low back pain. Um, the more I dug into that motivational interviewing in that patient's native language, the more Mm -hmm. I realized that it was actually altered mental status. And it was not, I mean, there probably is some back pain, but the emergent medical condition was not back pain. It was altered mental status. And that was something we needed to get managed before we could even begin to touch on the low back pain. And there was a reason this patient had kept coming back to the emergency department because he kept being sent home with low back pain, But when you had a specialist really talk to him about the low back pain in his appropriate language, so many more pieces came out and it was clear there was like a profound cognitive issue that really needed to be investigated based on other medical factors. So I love that. I love that mystery. I love that excitement. I love not knowing what's going to come next, which is so funny to some people who know me well, because I'm pretty type A. Mm. I like structure. I like um, being in control of things. I like planning. I love all that. I have like 18 different colored pens. I have erasable pens for Pete's sake. So I think a lot of people would think it's kind of funny that I really thrive in this environment, but I love it. I love the pace. I love the uncertainty. I love using my brain in new ways. So I think it's part of my flow to have that uncertainty in my career. Yeah. And I think that there's like definitely something to say about that too. Like I see that even like in pelvic health, like people ask me, they're like, cause I, I do something that's not common for pelvic health PTs. Like I do 40 hours a week, entirely pelvic in an entirely pelvic uh, bubble. So like all four of my coworkers, we all do pelvic. And they were like, doesn't it get boring? Like treating just like one part of the body. And I'm like, but when the pelvis is the center of gravity, there's so much more there you know, and like, I feel like I'm like this body detective where they're going to say that like, oh, this one thing has been going on, but then it unravels into this like huge mess of yarn. Right. And the amount of like hypermobility cases that have come through and like weird, not weird, but like different autoimmune conditions that I've like mm-hmm. referred out to that have been missed. You know, it's, it's so important to be able to like dig a little bit deeper and kind of go, go out of your, your regular flow, because that's where I feel like we help our patients the most when we go a little bit out of the lines. Well, let's be real too. I mean, I'm no pelvic health therapist, but I can't imagine that you're not also treating a lot of psychosocial emotional issues. If that's like, so let's stop that it's one part of the body here because that's, I have no idea. Like I know enough to know when I need to send a patient to see a pelvic health therapist and probably not even enough. I am getting there. But I mean, the patients that I send, like 
there's so much going on. And I'll look at patients in the emergency department with low back pain and I'll be like, mm. but you also have this other issue that I can't quite nail down that I think a pelvic health therapist needs to see. Or I had a patient recently with months of chronic constipation and That's my bread and I, butter. <laughs> and a lot of pelvic pain and a lot of sacral pain. And I was like, uh, I'm going to send you to a pelvic health therapist because there's so much going on with your whole body and your heart right now that we need to get you to the right person because she was getting to the point where she felt like she didn't want to continue to go on because she mm. was so desperate for some kind of relief and just not getting the access to care that she needed. So my hope is that somebody like you is going to be the hero of the day and get her, her life back. Well, I think that's like, what's so fascinating too, is that like, so my um, partner in crime, he is in med school and like wants to actually work in emergency medicine, be an emergency physician and did his academic training in Europe, but is now here in the States doing his clinical training. Um, and he has autism as well. And, and some of his lenses are just so different, but what's fascinating to me is the lack of muscular education in a med school curriculum. And they're just like, their muscles, they're there. And I'm like, are you not realizing that like clenching every muscle in your body is actually affecting organ perfusion and process? And so it's, it's so baffling to me that like, you know, we're, we're not, they're not more PTs in the ED. So talk a little yeah. bit about like how you're pushing that boundary to get more people into the ED because you're so needed. Well, my opinion is that we need to have a physical therapist in every emergency department and urgent care in the United States. So I think that's like the end goal. Um, partly, if you think about it just from a very practical level, one of the number one reasons people go to the emergency department is low back pain. So that right there, I feel like I could employ an entire physical therapist for a 24 hour shift, just seeing low back pain in many emergency departments. And if you're in a like super small rural ED that has two beds, maybe you don't need to have a PT on site, but I think having access to a PT by telehealth or something like that, or at least making sure there's some kind of resource in your community, I get that argument, but that's just such a small part. We also see patients for vertigo. We see patients from other musculoskeletal injuries. So many people come to the emergency department thinking they're having a heart attack, but it's really chest wall pain from a mm. musculoskeletal source. So we treat that. Um, the number of people that come in for home safety issues or failure to thrive, like a physical therapist, occupational therapist, we should absolutely be making those decisions because we help make those discharge decisions quickly. And if we can get in front of that, maybe we can keep people at home longer. Maybe we can avoid unnecessary hospital admissions. Maybe we can get people through rehab and more independent for more of their life. Maybe we can prevent a subdural from somebody falling down the stairs. So there's so much we can do that's a little more upstream than your typical emergency department care. But the literature supports all of that. The literature shows that physical therapists in the emergency department decrease unnecessary imaging, decrease opioid use, uh, improve discharge planning, improve throughput and operations, greatly improve patient satisfaction and provider satisfaction. And partly the providers are thrilled because they don't have to be the expert on musculoskeletal things anymore. Mm -hmm. They can say, hey, we're going to have the physical therapist come see you. And then that allows them to see somebody with a critical need. 
It allows me to give them the care that they need. It allows me to help them with that differential diagnosis process to make sure that something's not being missed. Because like this person, um, so say you send somebody back for low back pain, because we're the experts at musculoskeletal pain, we can evaluate that patient and be like, you know what? This is not a musculoskeletal etiology. Like I have confidently ruled that out. Can I tell you what it is? Probably, maybe not. Maybe I'll have a good idea. Like it's a kidney stone. One of my therapists caught a miscarriage in process, things like that. Um, but I can say, hey, this is not musculoskeletal and this is why, and these are my concerns. And I sent one patient back and they got more imaging. They had metastatic peritoneal cancer. So oh my gosh. We, we know when it's not us. Yeah. So I think that really helps them know that, especially with dizziness, it's the same way. Vertigo, I mean, vertigo is a symptom, not a diagnosis. So we can help make sure it's not a central issue. We can help make sure it's not um, something that's like, I see a lot of hypotension that people think is, is BPPV, for example. So there's so much we can contribute with our specific lens. We also look at function so much differently than other people in the emergency department. And I think that's another area where our value is tremendous. Hi, sorry, I wanted to interrupt just to bring you a message from one of our amazing sponsors that helps keep this podcast running. So without further ado, there's a lot of things to be anxious about when it comes to higher education and student loans are no exception. With so many choices and payback plans, it's hard to know if you're spending your money wisely or throwing it into a never ending void. That's where Varela Financial steps in. Specializing in financial planning for PTs, MDs, and chiropractors, their experts understand your debt and most importantly want to help you meet your individualized financial goals. Set up a free consultation to see how Varela Financial can save you money on your student loans at varelafinancial.com. That's V-A-R-E-L-A financial.com. Absolutely. And I, I love like all of this and now I'm just like, I want to like hop in the ED like two times a Come week. On so, over. Like, Let's go. How did, how did you get into like the emergency department? Like what was that journey like for you? Yeah. So I, I spoke a little bit about how I have kind of centered my life around my kids. So as part of that, I, um, was originally in brain and spinal cord injury rehab as an NCS. Like I wasn't an NCS then, but that was like my primary goal. And then once I had kids, I was like, wow, like I just don't feel like I can work this much and be the mm -hmm. kind of parent that I want to be. And luckily, luckily I have the luxury of doing that. Right. I know not everyone has that choice. So in looking for other alternatives, I did some per diem outpatient orthopedics and I found that that was really unflexible. Like, I couldn't change my schedule. I couldn't leave in the middle of the day if something went wrong. But uh, so a colleague invited me to apply for an acute care job. And I have to tell you, I was that PT that was like, ooh, like never will you see me in an acute care hospital ever, ever. I never did a clinical there. I was afraid of hospitals. I couldn't even like visit people in the hospital. And now look at me, like I've been in acute care for like 13 years. But um I tried it and it was the perfect job for having a family because I could work per diem. My schedule could be flexible. I could work on weekends, be home during weekdays. There was just so much to add, but because I was per diem, my job was to float. So I mm. usually explain it like I was the grout therapist, the one that filled the cracks. And part of that was great because I got to acquire so many new skills. 
But one of those areas, one of those cracks that kept getting wider and wider was the emergency department. Like they would page up and be like, we have this patient, we can't quite send him home. We can't quite admit him to the hospital. Can you just come see what you think? And it got to the point where some days my whole day was doing that. And then my patients in the ICU got no care. So mm. as I moved from a per diem role to a part-time role, I thought, how can I address this? And I had learned some about PT and the ED at CSM and other areas like that. So we started a pilot program to be full-time in the ED to see if we could support that. And that has grown from one therapist five days a week to three therapists five days a week and one therapist on Saturday and Sunday. We also now have a full-time occupational therapist in the emergency department. And where are you located? In Colorado. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Yeah. And I, I think that there's something like so important to be said and like to pick out of what you said. It's you tried it because yeah. you, you absolutely could have failed. Like acute care, my acute care rotation was in um, cardiac ICU and it was the most terrifying, awful nine weeks of my life. And if you were to ask me to go back, I would say, <laughs> absolutely not. I don't care how much you could pay me. Um, but you, you tried it with the, with the notion that like, you might fail at this. Like what, yeah. what drove you to eventually like, just say yes. Like, were you scared of failing in that setting? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think I did. I think I have failed in that setting thousands of times. And what I hated about it at first was I was so lonely. Like when mm. you talk about your pod of people that you work with, like, and that was very much how it was in acute rehab and an outpatient, like I felt like I was part of a team, but in acute care, you like stop by the office, you get your patients, you go out all day, and then maybe you come back at the end of the day. It's like being a bee. You stop at the hive in the morning, you go out to the flowers all day, and then you come back. And I was just lonely. And I didn't um, really know how to identify a mentor. And, and the attitude was very much like, you're a physical therapist, like you should be able to do this. And I had no idea, like my first patient, I set off the bed alarm because I didn't even know that there was one. Yeah. Talk about imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah. And then like going to the ICU, I mean, I'm, I'm really pleased I never killed anybody, but I mean, like, I don't know. I think I probably looking back, I'm a little like surprised at how brave I was to continue to go into to rooms like not really feeling confident and just kind of learning as we go but on the other hand like what a great growth mindset opportunity what an opportunity to fail forward what an opportunity to mm. like really be a sponge and I learned so much from my patients and at some point in that transition I stopped being afraid and decided I wanted to be great at it not wow. just that I wanted to do it and that I could show up every day and then go home to my kids. But like, I could actually like, acute care was so much more than I thought it was. And the beauty of second first steps is a thing that will never leave me ever to help somebody get out of the bed for the first time after a life-changing event. That's hope that you're doing, you're bringing. And that is something I I can never let go of that, that hope that acute care therapists can give to patients in the most stressful times of patients' lives. Like that, for me, you can't replace that. Yeah. And I, and I challenge you a little bit that, that you entering that acute care setting, that was your second first step. Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, that's I don't, uh, for cool. sure. And, and I continue to, 
to try and do that with my life too, right? Like that's another example I want to set for my kids that you can always be growing and trying new things and failing, failing at them. And it's okay to fail and it's okay to move forward. I just had this conversation with my oldest son. He's about to go into high school. And I don't know if you remember when you were about to go into high school, um, but it's scary. And I had to go to a, a new school in a new state when it was time for me to go to high school. So I didn't have anybody except my sister who was in the same grade as me. And it was brutal. And so he's like, I'm really afraid of failing. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I get that. And I want you to like feel that feeling, but also understand that every time you fail is like an opportunity to move forward. So I don't know. I'm just like in my forties have embraced failure in a way I never have otherwise. I I have keep moving forward tattooed on my ankle, the Walt Disney quote, because it is just so foundational to who I am. And I remember, um, I failed a, a practical in PT school. Um, I just pulled a test that I like, I didn't know. Um, and it was the hand and I'm just like, this is an occupational therapist job to every OT out there. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, I, I just sat there and I remember crying for about an hour. Like I, I sat in the locker room, just crying and crying and being like, I cannot be a physical therapist. I cannot pull this out of my hat and, and just do it. And then I um, was meeting with my therapist the next day and she was like, what would happen if you just said you didn't know? And I was like, oh, well, like I would probably have to like come back the the next day and, you know, go it and maybe get like the 80%, like after I like studied it. And she's like, so no one dies. I'm like, no. And she's like, and you can still pass and be a physical therapist. I'm like, yeah. And she's like, and when you're in clinic, you can Google this. And I was like, okay, common sense filter, <laughs> you know? And I feel like there's such a stigma around failure that we have to be a hundred percent on all the time. And then we're going back to those faucets to where you're just overflowing and it's, it's yeah. so, so much. And I wanted to ask you too, like you are seeing patients at their quote unquote lowest, right? In their survival mode. Yes. Is there like a moment where you felt like you were in that state and like wind knocked out of you, like searching for hope, just waiting for somebody. And how did you get back up? So many years ago, there was a year where I had two near death experiences. Oh my gosh. And I would have told you at the time I was fine. Like everything was fine. So fine. It's fine. I'm fine. Later, that kind of triggered a like late stage PTSD response Mm -hmm. that manifested itself around my children. Oh, no. To the point where I felt like I maybe shouldn't be around them. Not in a safety way, but like, you know, I was not good enough to be around them. I couldn't competently take care of them kind of way. Like, like it should be somebody else's job. I don't even know how to explain it at this point. And it's so funny because the more transparent I am about this story with other moms, a lot of moms go through this and they're afraid to talk about it, which is one reason why I want to talk about it to people because they need to know that it's okay. And I got to that point where you talk about like the wind being knocked out of you, where I felt like I couldn't function. I wasn't sleeping. I couldn't, could barely get to my job, let alone do my job. And I was working with patients in the ICU, the neuro ICU at the time, and they really needed 
all of me. They didn't need part of me. I needed to be able to focus so I didn't hurt someone. And I was to the point too, where like somebody said, Oh, well, can you imagine when your kids are all grown up? And I said, I can't, I cannot. Wow. And I, and I had to get urgent help because I just was so hopeless in that moment and so anxious. I never ended up having any kind of depression. It really manifested itself as like severe anxiety. Mm -hmm. And it probably took really like six months to a year of hard work until I felt like I was myself again. And I was like back to myself. And so part of that experience really reminded me that we need to take care of ourselves we need to monitor our own mental health and be present when things that are bad happen. So if I had managed more of those feelings around those near-death experiences or someone had provided me with any kind of care for that, I actually think those things wouldn't happen, wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just was like, okay, that's done. I need to now get back to managing my, my life. Like, okay, I didn't die. Let's, let's keep going forward. And I'm not the kind of person who would take time to pause and experience that. And so I would just encourage people, if you're having those times where you're feeling like everything's knocked out of you and you don't have hope, you got to feel that and move through it. And you need to get somebody to help you because it's not something I could have done by myself. Yeah. And I, I think what's so powerful there is you're like, it it wasn't immediate. It took six to nine months and of, of work while life is going on. Like you cannot mm-hmm. pause life to, and I don't care like what setting you're in. We don't really live in a world where it's allowed to pause for mental health. Um, no. And, so, and I had, I had like a, a one and a half year old, a three-year-old and a five-year-old, like there's no time to pause. There was no time yeah. to pause. I was training for a triathlon. I was trying to do all these great things at work. Like that's right before we started our pilot in the emergency department. Like all of this was going on when that started. So I just, and I felt so much pressure and, and I'm sure a lot of PTs can also relate. They wouldn't love your page so much if they didn't this pressure to be perfect. And I've way since let Mm. that go, but that was one of the best lessons that I learned out of this is that I'm not, and it's okay to ask people for help. Absolutely. And I think like, I, I keep this mantra when my bosses told me, like, as I was first starting my career and, um, cause I was, I was seeing pretty high complex, like pelvic patients. Cause like we were the specialists and I had a nine week clinical under my belt and my boss looks at me and she was like, that's okay. Like you just go in and do what you need to do because the patient doesn't know that you don't know something. Mm-hmm. The patient is coming to you because they know nothing. So you even knowing right. one thing is enough for them in that moment. And you can know that's the beauty of outpatient care. And it, it's different for acute, acute where you might not have that follow-up, but my boss is like, you just see him next week and fill in the gap, right? After you've like asked for help in something, not everything has to be immediate drawn out of your out of your mouth like you can just give them a little bit and that to them is everything and I think that that's I think you're absolutely right you're absolutely right and I think the other thing about that experience that I had and like that whole feeling of anxiety and, and stress and hopelessness and like working through that 
has prepared me even more to work in the setting that I'm in because the Mm -hmm. amount of compassion I have for people who are in that fight or flight state, because I was basically in fight or flight for a year. Yeah. And being able to take that time and be with them and talk to them. Like, I feel like I specialize in patients who are very anxious, very angry, very far into despair and people who are in a tremendous amount of pain because Mm -hmm. of the experiences I've had and the strategies that I bring to my sessions to help people regulate before we do anything else. Oh my God. We can create like our own like spinoff podcast just on this. Cause like I like people ask me like, what are your like favorite patients to work with? And I'm like my trauma patients. Yeah. Because like the best and worst compliment I get all the time is thank you. You're the first person to listen to me. Oh God. It's the worst though. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Because especially in pelvic health, like they like have been passed from provider to provider for a while. And like it's getting better um now that like pelvic health is becoming more known and like arguably thanks to TikTok. Um, but it is like, yeah, like everybody just needs somebody to listen. And I think if we all like if we took ourselves like almost out of the God complex of it, it's like you can listen to somebody without needing to fix them. And I think yeah. that's where a lot of us struggle is it's like, oh my God, my friend is like telling me this worst thing. And it's like, that's what I love about my boyfriend. Like his autism, like he, he's just like, man, that sucks. And I'm like, it does suck. Thank you. And that's all I needed to hear. Yeah. And it took so long for, for me to realize that I didn't need other people to fix my problems. Right. I just needed somebody to listen. Yes. So I, I thank you for, you know, being transparent and also like, giving patients a space to listen, to be heard, because it is so, so important. Um, And I'm sure you felt that too, like when you needed to be heard, like what kind of um, like strategies did you have during that time, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, I think one of them was really remembering, and this was really hard for me because at the time it felt so permanent. Mm. It felt like I would never have my mind back. It felt like I would never have my body back. I felt like I would never feel safe or comfortable again. Mm -hmm. And that was really scary. Um, Like I felt like my whole self had disappeared. And for me, the biggest strategy that somebody told me was, I need you to remember that nothing's permanent. These feelings Mm -hmm. aren't permanent. No feeling is. Happiness isn't isn't permanent. Safety isn't permanent. Stress isn't permanent. Anxiety is not permanent. So like if I had a panic attack, I was just sure I was going to die, like certain of it. And that had never happened to me before. And so knowing that like it wasn't permanent and I could actually just observe it while it was happening in a more kind of dispassionate way worked very well for my logical brain. So I could just kind of take a step back and be like, hmm, this is interesting. I wonder how long this will last. And then I would just start timing it and I would just kind of write it out. And so remembering that was helpful. And I think also just um, not hiding it and like really communicating with my spouse about like, hey, like Mm. I need, I can't do this today. Or, and I did take medication for a while and I don't like taking medication. I, I, it, it probably was life-saving for me at the time, but yeah. it's not my favorite thing. And I don't take medication anymore, but having him manage that 
mm-hmm. was another strategy I used because I don't like taking it. I couldn't be responsible for it. So he would make sure that that was just managed every day. It was a thing he could do that he felt like could contribute to me. And it was something that felt insurmountably difficult to me to just remember to do this one thing. And then, you know, I was also able to make goals because I'm a planner and I'm type A. So working with my medical team, uh, when can I get off this medication? Mm. What are the the markers for success when I know that I'm ready for that? What would you need to see? What would I need to feel? How do I know when we get there? And that was really helpful. Um, I, I also did a lot of things that weren't helpful. I tried journaling. Oh, I hate journaling. I hate it. <laughs> Okay, so now never felt so complimented and insulted at the same time. It was it oh, was don't be insulted. Own it. It's your superpower. Right, right. And like it was just, it was so definitely, you know, in in an attempt to control the uncontrollable, is so exhausting. It is swimming upstream all the time, instead of oh, just yeah. like letting go and sometimes just letting the current take you because like it can really take you somewhere really nice if we quit fighting it. I agree. I agree. And I've learned a lot about letting go Mm. and how to be present and what really matters. I've also really, um, as I've grown in the last several years, just focus on being myself in a more authentic way, because if I'm not then I find I have an internal conflict, which causes me anxiety. (laughs) Yeah. And so I just don't, I just, you know, take it or leave it. Why put yourself in that situation? Yeah. And I, and I continue to grow. I'm going to continue to try and be a better human, but I need to stay like true to who I really am. Yeah. And I mean, like, I, I really hold close the phrase, you can be the entire package and and sent to the wrong address, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can, you can have this, this amazing ability to do something, but if someone's not willing to receive it, it's, it's okay. Stop fighting it. And so I joke that like, I would get that tattooed on my forehead and in our last few moments here, what phrase, everything would you get tattooed on your forehead? Like, what do you need people to know? I really like firmly believe that we rise by lifting others. And so I try to live that way. And um, I believe in an abundance mindset and not a scarcity mindset. And that in order to do that, that's how we bring everybody together because a rising tide raises all ships. So Mm -hmm. my hope is that I'm living a life where I am bringing other people with me and not walking on other people to get to where I need to go. So that's why I do APTA service. That's why I volunteer at my kids' school. That is why I try to help people in the emergency department, because as a society and a community and humans, we need to do better for one another. And I think the pandemic probably should have taught us some of that. Um, Yeah. So I would say that's what it is. We rise by lifting others. That's, I mean... There's so much to be yeah. said about that, but I think we can just leave it. Yeah. At that. That's it. <laughs> that's it. You just, you have to be a good person and let others, you know, let others in. All right, Rebecca, this was absolutely phenomenal. Like I said, we can have an entire s- spinoff podcast, but we should definitely uh, partner up again in the future to keep talking about like trauma-informed care, things like that. Absolutely. Um, where can people find you? 
Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I am told that Facebook is for old people, but I am an old people, so I'll still be there for a while. At the EDDPT, uh, I think we're on thread now, too. Um, we do have a podcast on trauma-informed care for anybody who's interested in that with Dr. Andy Wicks that you could listen to as well, um, because it is so important, as you know, in just about any setting. So that is the best place to find us and www.theeddpt.com amazing thank you so so much rebecca and we will be in touch thank you all for listening and we'll see you in a bit thank you so much for listening to this episode of the thrive guide presented on the pt pinecast network if you like what you heard please leave a review or a comment down below it helps other people find us you can check out links to everything mentioned in the show notes below thank you again and keep on thriving